Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. Lou Weiss is out, so I will be hosting the show today with Norbert Orr, who is the Director of Industry Surveys for Strategus Research Partners. We have Norbert on once a month to talk about the reports that he puts together for Strategus Research Partners, which manufacturers in the U.S. can participate in and get copies of those reports for free. And then we kind of talk about related topics having to do with the state of the world economy in the U.S. Norbert, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you, Tim. Always good to be with you. Good to have you. Uh, where would you like to start today? You want to start on the global uh, growth report or on the SLIM report, or it's up to you? Well, let's start with kind of the, the global uh, growth uh, situation and what's going on. There's a tremendous amount of interest because of the tariff situation. Uh, so that might be a good starting point, and then we can kind of work our way through back to the domestic economy and exactly what it looks like here. All right. So, so let's take a look at global growth, and I do want to want to talk to you about uh, tariffs since they're still in place, but we'll do that after we get through some of the survey data that you've put together here, particularly on your very interesting a scattergram, which, by the way, for our listeners, appears in every issue of Metals and Manufacturing Outlook e-zine that we publish once a month, so you can actually visually see it and get the data that Norbert has written. So, Norbert, why don't we pick a country and give us an idea of what's happening around the globe? Okay, very good. Uh, let's start with uh, with Asia. Uh, when we're looking at uh, the scattergram and what goes into the scattergram, uh, we're, we're always seeking uh, two things primarily. One is an economy growing, and if it is growing, the second thing is, is it getting stronger or getting weaker? So. Uh, if we if we start with that as a uh, as a premise this month, uh, we see that uh, the the largest economy that isn't growing uh, significantly is Germany, and that has an index of 44.4, uh, which it's gotten a little bit better. Uh, it was up uh, slightly from uh, from the month before. Uh, Germany's got a lot of issues associated with trade. Germany's got immigration issues. Uh, they've got political issues in that uh, they've lost the, the confidence of, of an awful, awful large segment of the population, I think. Uh, so uh, that shows up on the scattergram very, very quickly. Uh, then the second area that shows on there is uh, uh the European zone, or Eurozone as it's called, and that's the eight countries uh, that uh, make up uh, the Eurozone, which is a subset of the the European Union. Uh, and if we look at them collectively, uh, they came in at 47.9. So uh, a lot of that, though, is draw, drawn down by Germany and uh, what's happened there. The other uh, Eurozone countries that aren't growing are Italy and uh, Austria. 
Austria is at 49.2, so uh, not that bad. Uh, Italy is at 49.1, not that bad. Uh, the rest of the Eurozone is growing, but as I said, uh, when you ha- have uh, Germany dragging down, what usually uh, what we're, we're used to seeing is that Germany is uh, actually the one pushing the index upward, that they're doing better than the rest of their uh, close trading partners. Uh, so certainly it's one of the areas that we want to identify. It looks like, uh, uh, and le- don't let me get into the tariff discussion completely, but it looks like uh, the administration doesn't want to tackle. They had put a deadline on the German automakers, uh, mm-hmm. and it uh, looks like they don't want to. They've said consistently that they didn't want to tackle more than one trade agreement at a time, and so it looks like that's <laughs> right. they're, they're honoring that. Uh, so. Uh, certainly, uh, Europe, uh, and uh, we, we probably need to mention the U.K. came in at 53.1, which is uh, actually better than uh, anything that we saw with the exception of Greece. Uh, and that may be a, a little bit of a contradiction for, for Greece to be at 56.6 when everybody else is struggling because historically uh, they've had far more problems to work with. Uh, So uh, the U.K. stands out uh, because they came in at uh, 53.1. I I, I truly believe that number is misleading as far as the U.K. is concerned. Uh, They are not prospering uh, through all this. There's a lot of confusion because of Brexit, uh, still in the in the uh, uh, realm of possibility. Uh, so, in general, uh, if you had to give a, a, a grade to uh, the eurozone for how they're doing right now, you'd say uh, certainly very little growth. Uh, certainly, uh, employment is an issue for a number of the countries. Uh, very high unemployment. Uh, in general. Uh, it's not where uh, I would want to put uh, uh, a lot of emphasis right now in terms of saying they're going to be helping the rest of the global economy. I can understand that. Uh, Norbert, I'm just wondering about Australia and our our mites down there. They seem to be doing pretty well at 54.8. What's happening in Australia? Yeah, uh, good for them. Uh, If they just had a a large manufacturing sector, it would be even better. Uh, (laughs) Right. But, uh, you you know, Australia, uh, once you go beyond food and beer, uh, the amount of manufacturing that they have is is very small comparatively. Uh, They don't, uh, uh, the last auto plant uh, that was in Australia closed uh, over a year ago now. And uh, so they really don't have a large manufacturing. They have packaging. They have, uh, like I said, the food industry. Uh, they have, still have some mining, and uh, you know. But again, that's not manufacturing. Uh, but it is indeed uh, good for the economy. So uh, Australia has the benefit of having a limited population of 30 million people. Uh, they don't struggle with immigration the way we do. They have very strict rules with regard to immigration and only allow in 
uh, a, a very small portion of, uh, of people into, into the country, allowing them to immigrate in, into the country. So uh, they have, things are going good for them right now. Uh, they have not had a recession in Australia, I think, in some, uh, I, I want to say 15 years, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, but it's been quite some time since, uh, since they've uh, suffered through a, a recession. Well, it's kind of hard to rush the border of Australia because uh, they're surrounded by water, I think, on all sides. So unlike us, we're uh, landlocked with our neighbors to the south. Uh, Norbert, you always talk about Taiwan. Taiwan's big into semiconductors, and I heard recently that one of the concerns about the issues with China is they're a major producer of semiconductors. Who really leads in the semiconductor production, Taiwan or China? Uh, I think Taiwan is probably more of the preferred supplier. China may produce more, uh, but uh, Taiwan uh, is noted for the quality of its semiconductors, and uh, so I don't see that changing anytime soon. Now, Taiwan has been on kind of a rocky road since October of last year when uh, the index was at 518 then it fell uh, at, to 50 or lower for five months, and now uh, in May or in April it jumped back up to 51.7. So they've made a better and stronger recovery than uh, than any of the other Asian countries that uh, that we look at. And you know we do look uh, uh, we we look at South Korea, which. Uh, had five months of decline and now uh, came in at 50.2. So it basically hasn't changed that much. So Taiwan looks better in that regard. Uh, the two China surveys both popped uh, above 50 th- uh, this month uh, to 50.2 and 50.3. Uh, so China is struggling. Uh, they're, they're not getting the growth. Uh, whether or not uh, we can believe that they're uh, uh, getting 6% growth, uh, I find it very difficult when uh, everybody else's numbers uh, move around a great deal. Uh, the two China uh, surveys supposedly indicate that China's got 6% growth in GDP, and that's quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. Uh, so, uh, when when nobody else in the world has that kind of consistent growth going for them, I, I just wonder how China can do it when we know certain things in China or uh, or, or, or certain industries in particular are having a tough time. Uh, the other one is Japan, and Japan came in at 50.1. So, I really feel like one of the issues again we'll touch on the tariffs. Uh, one of the issues for uh, uh, China is, uh, you know, as China goes, so goes South Korea, so goes Japan, so goes Singapore, so goes Taiwan. Uh, and so it's uh, it's going to be a, a difficult ride for them until they get something settled. Well, our listeners may not know that Norbert was with the Institute for Supply Management for a number of years before his current role. He preceded Brad Holcomb, who was in that role of the committee chair for the Manufacturing Report on Business, which is now held by Tim Fiore. So 
Norbert, you're a supply chain guy, and with all of these tariffs taking place on China and obviously just getting worse as of last Friday, who's doing better, who's faring better because of it? I'm assuming Taiwan will win, India will win, Vietnam will win. Uh, All of those are going to win, I I think, you know, uh, I, I guess there, there's different views that we can take of, of the impact of the tariffs. Uh, one view would be the politician's view of uh, uh, is trade fair? Is it balanced? Uh, is it uh, are they honoring agreements? Those types of things. The, the other view is uh, what I would call the supply chain manager's view. And that's mm-hmm. been my my view from the beginning. Uh, I worked uh, in manufacturing for many, many years, responsible for uh, supply chain activities, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, I always contend uh, nobody ever got fired for paying a higher price for goods or services. Uh, but if you don't have the goods and services that you're employer needs and you've been negligent in that uh you can pretty well determine decide that you're going to have to look for another job because uh <laughs> you, you you uh uh inability to provide the supply is certainly uh one of the things that you want to avoid uh and so supply chains are self-sustaining uh if you can't get what you need uh, in one part of the world, you could go look somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. And so when China is losing, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, we want to treat this as a totally zero-sum game where they gain everything and we lose everything. And that's not really the way it works uh, because when China uh, has uh, – Customers that, or when China has goods that cost more, and particularly 25% more, then what's going to happen is um, people are going to buy from other countries. Right. And and so, and a classic example to me would be uh, we said the German the German auto tariffs haven't come in effect yet, but uh, when they do, if we put a 25% uh, tariff on Germany, what's going to happen to the sale of Japanese cars in the United States? You know, uh, yeah. at, at the top end, quite often people are deciding between Lexus and BMW or uh, Mercedes um, and so on. At the mid range, it's uh, uh, Volkswagen, etc., versus. Uh, uh, versus, you know, uh, Toyota or other uh, suppliers. So uh, mm-hmm. people are going to change, uh, consumers are going to adapt, uh, and uh, uh, the dealerships and so on in the U.S. are going to struggle uh, if they represent German companies uh, in, in the near term, and uh, we'll reconfigure the supply chain if necessary to do that. So... Uh, when when uh, I've heard a lot of the press say, well, when Trump uh, puts the tariffs on, he's just hurting it because Americans are paying more. 
Well, the true incentive is for Americans not to pay more. Don't buy Chinese. Right. <laughs> right. Buy somewhere uh, else. That's right. Now, Norbert, you and I uh, met up, uh, gosh, it was over a year ago at an ISM conference. Uh, I think that was the 2018 version back then, and we talked about the tariffs being short-lived. Uh, as we look at it today and both look backwards and forwards, I'm guessing that Trump intends to keep these tariffs in place until China uh, suffers from a bad nosebleed and China uh, isn't going to yield because they had a dispute with Russia some hundred plus years ago. Uh, they stayed their ground. Russia eventually capitulated, even though China and Russia battled over the, the land issue for uh, two different short-lived wars. And at the end of the day, Russia gained nothing and China held out. Are they, is China going to do the same thing with these tariffs? Uh, I think we run the risk of that. I felt that uh, you know, the, the first thing you have to throw out, I think, in this type of a situation is logic. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> Neither party is necessarily doing the logical thing. Frankly, I don't think uh, the administration had any uh, inkling that they wanted to get into this as deeply as they have. But the deeper they've gotten into it, the more they've realized that there's a, an issue. Uh, you know, we have uh, technology issues. Uh, this whole situation with Huawei, uh, mm -hmm. they are run, the company is supposedly run by the Communist Party. Uh, they've cut prices so that they get uh, a leg up on uh, U.S. companies and other companies around the world. Uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, basic systems and uh, uh, servers and those types of things. Uh, and they're willing to sign a pledge now that they won't spy. Uh, if, to me, if you have to have your supplier sign a pledge that they won't, supply, that they won't spy, uh, uh, that means to me I've got the wrong supplier. All right. Right, I would agree. Uh, you know, another issue is that the China shifted a bit about maybe six months prior to the tariffs taking place, and maybe as much as a year before then. They were really shifting from an export-based economy, which they had been with us as their major trading partner, to a consumer-driven economy. Right about the time we laid on tariffs, I, I almost imagine China doesn't really care because their focus is on conspicuous consumption of their own Chinese people. What do you think on that one? Uh, I think that that's uh, partly true. Uh, I see them more as, uh, you know, the, 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 big, the big issue here is, can China have the policies in place by 2025 that allow them to kind of dominate global commerce? Mm -hmm. And this whole effort on the part of the administration could be the key to stopping them from reaching that because of, as you mentioned, this consumer-based economy, uh, but that consumer-based economy does, won't, won't produce for them the levels of productivity and growth and strength that we get out of ours. You know, 
property rights are still in question. Uh, treatment, mm-hmm. human rights are still in question. Uh, it really exposes all of the problems that China has, uh, and there are many. But uh, exporting uh, has allowed them to uh, uh, to do better than that because people who sell coal to China, people who sell oil to China, uh, they've uh, uh, they, they've built a uh, a business with them that they want to uh, continue to develop. At the same time, uh, trying to do that completely around the consumer versus the industrial nature of it, uh, you got to have manufacturing in order to support the industrial development uh, uh, and, and the growth in GDP. And, uh, of course, I think part of ours was driven by uh, the military budgets that we've built up over the years. I think China, however, is well on the road to building up their military and their military budgets, which means they're just going into domestic debt, just as we did, to drive that engine. Uh, I'm just wondering how long they will hold out uh, before they finally capitulate, or are they just going to hold out, period? Well, somehow, uh, some way, uh, I have a feeling that the administration will find a way to, to make, all this, make all this work. Uh, but there's some things that probably, uh, you know, one of the stickling uh, issues that's a, that there's a stickler for is uh, uh, a number of things that we're asking for them to change Chinese law. And uh, I think if somebody wanted us to enter into an agreement and they uh, told us that we had to change the law of the land, I think we'd be very reluctant to do that. And so I think they're going to be very reluctant also. Uh, I think on the intellectual property issue, uh, we eventually will sign something, they'll sign something, uh, and then the Chinese will go about doing what they've always done. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, I think uh, it, it, they're lawless. Is, yeah, they're lawless when it comes to these types of things. Uh, I would agree. Uh, uh, is the forced transfer of technology wrapped up in this intellectual property piece, or are those really separate issues? I think they're separate issues. Uh, I heard uh, recently of, of uh, uh, situations where uh, companies uh, were moved business overseas. Uh, I can remember uh, in the 1990s uh, moving uh, different businesses or watching as manufacturers moved like plastics uh uh, mm-hmm. Chinese could build dyes, for instance, at a much uh, lower cost because they had no labor content uh, than we could. Uh, and so uh, a lot of injection molding uh, uh, got moved out uh, offshore at that time. Uh, and frankly, the companies didn't do a really good cost analysis to look at the full supply chain cost. Right of, of making that type of move and understanding uh, that now we've got to have much larger inventories because we've got six weeks transient time coming from China. And those things got looked over uh, very honestly. I, I observed in a number of companies where the senior managers all wanted to make, you know, 
their board of directors and their stockholders were saying, well, what are you doing in China? So they were going to do something whether it was the right thing or not. And, yeah, right. Uh, uh, most of them didn't bother to look to see if it was the right thing. It was just, oh, well, everybody says China's cheaper, so we're going to move uh, volumes to China uh, so that uh, we can get in on cheaper when it ultimately really wasn't. Yes, that could very well be. Uh, Norbert, so as we come back to this side of the of the pond and we look at the United States, which is in the longest expansion cycle since World War II uh, and apparently still growing strong, what does it look like going forward? If we look at uh, the two major surveys that, uh, that I follow, which is uh, ISM manufacturing and ISM non-manufacturing, uh, manufacturing is at 52.8. That's down from 55.3, which is significant. It means things have slowed a little bit. But 52.8 is still over 5% month-over-month improvement. So uh, mm-hmm. not uh, not too bad from that perspective. Uh, what's more encouraging, Tim, is the non-manufacturing side. And th- that came in at 55.5. And non-manufacturing is four times larger than manufacturing in the U.S. So why do we follow manufacturing? Because manufacturing has more leading properties, whereas non-manufacturing is more coincident. And mm-hmm. so it's not telling us about the future. It'll tell us what the temperature is outside right now. Uh, and because it's four times larger, it also... Uh, has a bigger impact uh, in terms of growth, and it's where the labor is. It's uh, you know service businesses have a much higher percentage of labor than manufacturing businesses do. So we we see that uh, non-manufacturing really supports that. On top of all that, non-manufacturing is very slow to change. Manufacturing can change very rapidly because they've learned that they have to do that to stay in business. Non-manufacturing companies, uh, and, you know, think in terms of insurance companies, law firms, uh, anybody where there's intense labor associated with it, uh, those firms don't change very quickly. They don't uh, reduce payroll very quickly. Uh, They often don't grow that quickly either, but nonetheless, uh, they still are the uh, center of the services sector, which really supports manufacturing. Right, right. And and how is retail doing as we look at that, because that falls in the non-manufacturing world? In general, it seems that retail is holding up fairly well. Uh, we've got very low unemployment. Uh, we've got... Uh, Retailers that are very efficient uh, and learning to compete in, in the world that they have today. Uh, so I think we're we're in, in pretty good shape there. Norbert, I, I never want to forget, and always want to remind our listeners about the SLIM survey. You do a proprietary survey of manufacturing. In the first uh, week or 10 days of a month, and then produce a report that comes out Again, it's a proprietary report that subscribers to uh, Strategus Research Partners are paying handsomely for, and well they should. 
but that manufacturers can, in fact, get that information by participating in the survey. So I always want to encourage our listeners to get a hold of uh, Norbert Orr at uh, Strategus Research Partners, and I think that's strategusrp.com on the web. And you can look and find Norbert in there and send him an email, and the two of you can chat and find out whether or not you should be participating in that survey. Uh, the more, the merrier, because it gives a more rounded approach. Uh, Norbert, is there anything that you can share from the SLIM survey, or is that data not in yet? Uh, as we speak, we're gathering. Excuse me. As we speak, we're gathering the data, Tim. Okay, I figure that might be the case because we're sitting right here on the 16th. So yeah. Um, we'll uh, we'll get that another time. But Norbert, I want to thank you for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We always appreciate your insight to the purchasing managers indexes around the world, and you follow 18 of those plus some regional surveys in the U.S. and some uh, Milwaukee survey, a Texas survey. So you're really got your thumb on it, and you've got years of experience watching the supply chain. So again, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. My pleasure. And we'll talk to you again next month. And we have been speaking with Norbert Orr, who is the Director of Industry Surveys for Strategus Research Partners. And he always shares his insights into what's happening in the various economies around the world so that the folks here in the U.S. can take a look and see how does that affect them, does it affect them, um, and gives us kind of an insight of what's happening with these tariffs. It's now kind of ramped up and it may be a concern whether or not the Chinese simply hold out, focus on their consumer-based economy, uh, and try to make their goals of becoming world dominant in an economic powerhouse by 2025. That's on their drawing board. A couple of very interesting books out on that subject. And there's also one, The Coming Collapse of China, which I have not gotten yet, but I am anxious to get and read. In any event, keep your eye on what's happening with the ISM's PMI numbers, both domestically and around the world. They are clearly a leading indicator telling you what's going to happen in the next six to nine months. And thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.